Hi everyone, Dan Cassidy here. Welcome to the Washington Weekly Podcast on the UBS In The Now podcast channel. Our conversation today will focus in on recent developments surrounding immigration policy, the confirmation hearings of several cabinet-level nominees, and where we stand on the latest fiscal relief package. We'll cover some other topics as well, though joining me here on the line for the conversation today, glad to welcome back Shane Lieberman, Federal Affairs Manager with the UBS. U.S. Office of Public Policy in Washington, D.C. So, Shane, great to be with you as always. Happy Friday and looking forward to our conversation. Thanks, Dan. Uh, great to be back with you. And, uh, you know, we got some sun here in D.C. and starting to warm up. So I hope everyone uh, is getting ready for spring. Absolutely. Looking forward to it and up here in Connecticut enjoying some mild temps as well. It looks like those will continue into the weekend, which is great. So Shane, I know we have a lot of ground that we want to cover this week. Maybe we can begin by resuming our ongoing conversation about the confirmation process of President Biden's cabinet picks. I know it's been a very active week on that front. Uh, We've heard about President Biden's nominees for OMB Director, Health and Human Services Secretary, and Attorney general, just to name a few that have been making headlines. So can you bring us up to speed on where some of these nominations currently stand? Yeah, yeah those headlines uh, got the attention, but we should also take a moment to recognize that the Senate approved uh, three cabinet level officials this week. Uh, Tom Vilsack for Secretary of Agriculture, Jennifer Granholm to serve as Secretary of Energy, and uh, Lisa Thomas-Greenfield to serve as uh, the U- UN ambassador. Um, but you're right. Uh, the nominations uh, for Neera Tandine to OMB probably got most of the headlines. It appears that her nomination is uh, in deep peril and probably won't uh, make it. Um, besides all the Republicans seemingly uh, to oppose her, Senator Joe Manchin, Democrat from West Virginia, has come out in opposition. Uh, I think there are other Democratic senators who are... Um, on the fence, uh, but are keeping quiet right now in hopes that her uh, nomination will be withdrawn and they can move on without actually having to, um, you know, uh, thumb it in President Biden's face. Uh, so I think that will be the first kind of feather in the cap of Republicans of uh, being able to defeat uh, a Biden nomination. Uh, but you also mentioned Merrick um, Garland. Um, his nomination to attorney general uh, is, is on a uh, up, upswing right now. Uh, Senate Republican leader Mitch McConnell signaled that he would support Merrick Garland's nomination. So that is headed in the right direction. And um, Javier Becerra to HHS and Congresswoman Deb Hallen to Interior, both of them are in question right now. Uh, Republicans look to be making a stand on those two nominations as well. Um, Javier Becerra, before being attorney general, he was a, a member of the House for many years, and he did serve on the Ways and Means Committee. So he has experience with Medicare and some health care programs in general. But uh, Republicans see him as a partisan. Um, you know, you may remember the super committee from uh, a decade ago that was uh, put together to try and and. Uh, uh, attack the debt and deficit, and he was on that super committee. And a lot of people see his nom at the time saw his nomination uh, to that committee as as a real sign that you know the committee wasn't going to succeed. 
because they viewed him as a, as a hard partisan. And, and I think a lot of people have, uh, a lot of Republicans have that view of him and are very concerned that, you know, he does not have the right skill set to lead um, HHS, which is one of the largest departments in the federal government. So uh, we're going to keep an eye on that. You know, we still haven't seen any Democrats come across, uh, out in opposition of his uh, nomination, but that, I think this is going to be the one to follow after uh, the Nira Tandine nomination to OMB, you know, um, uh, uh, falls out of the headlines. Okay, well, it sounds like the cabinet is filling up, so appreciate the color in terms of where we stand on some of these nominees. It sounds like a couple on rocky footing at the moment. Is that common, Shane? I recall back during the Trump years that Andy Puzder, he did not make it through as uh, the labor secretary nominee. Is it common that at least one or two nominees typically don't make it through the confirmation process? Yeah, absolutely. You know, um, you always hear of, you know, one person that, you know, they weren't fully vetted or something comes out, you know, think back all the way back to Clinton and Zoe Baird, who was uh, his uh, nominee, I think, for attorney general. And she had a housekeeper and that was not um, legal and all the paperwork was not legal. So, you know, this is not uh, unheard of. And I think you and I talked about this early on that uh, Republicans were trying to figure out, you know, who would be the one or two nominees that they could potentially pick off and have that feather in the cap. Um, so I'm, I'm not surprised. And, you know, talking to lawmakers on both sides, uh, I think Neera Tandine was probably the almost the uh, most likely to have this happen to her, given her history on social media and not just jousting with Republicans, but also jousting with Democrats. So, um, you know, I think, uh, as you point out, this is not a rare occurrence, but, you know, it is definitely notable when it does happen. Well, appreciate the added insights there, Shane, and we'll continue to track these cabinet-level nominees very closely, how these processes proceed from here. So I do want to spend a few moments and shift over to President Biden's immigration policy. Again, this is something that has been making some headlines in recent days and weeks, uh, in particular down at the southern border. So what exactly has been transpiring, Shane? I know some lawmakers are speaking out. Who have we been hearing from? Yeah, the Biden administration announced that they're planning to reopen temporary facilities to hold um, uh, migrant children arriving uh, in the U.S. via the southern border. And this is reviving concerns about the welfare. Um, you know, we saw during the Donald Trump administration, um, this was a lightning rod topic. Um, the separation of children from their families and how they were treated. So you're seeing pushback. Uh, from, you know, kind of both sides, actually, you know, from uh, a lot of uh, Democrats concern about the treatment of these children and, and want to make sure that uh, these children uh, are not being separated from the families, you know, and then also, you know, from the right to some extent that, you know, this is uh, a little bit of hypocrisy, you know, that uh, that the Biden administration can do this, but the Trump administration gets called out for it. So, you know, I think, you know, there is some obviously nuance that the Biden administration is trying to convey and say how this is different uh, than under the Trump administration. Uh, but, you know, uh, I think, you know, on the PR side, the Biden administration needs to do some work to uh, assuage fears from Democrats that uh, this is anything near uh, in their minds what the Biden administration, what, excuse me, what the Trump administration was doing. 
Well, appreciate the color on what's been happening in recent time with immigration policy down at the southern border, and we'll continue to track uh, this story as it might develop in the coming weeks. So thank you for the update there, Shane. I know the Biden administration has also recently expressed willingness to reopen negotiations with Iran and reconstruct the nuclear agreement, the Iran Nuclear Accord, uh, which dates back to the Obama administration. So, uh, Shane, where does that initiative stand? as of today and how might that story progress? Has it been receiving support here at home as well as from our allies overseas? Yeah, so um, I think the first thing to remember is, you know, that Iran nuclear deal, it wasn't just um, the U.S. and Iran. It was the U.S. and a few European uh, Union nations uh, together negotiating with um, Iran. And last week, the Biden administration signaled that it would accept an invitation from these European nations to, to, um, you know, withdraw or, or, excuse me, rejoin these talks and try and uh, get back to where, where uh, this deal was under the Obama administration. Um, Republicans, you know, have swiftly uh, pushed back, warning President Biden against lifting any sanctions against the uh, Iranian regime, um, you know, they're very concerned that, you know, the Iranian regime uh, not only will uh, resume its nuclear program, which there is evidence of, you know, that uh, Iran is not a good actor in general here. So a lot of concern and pushback from Republicans. You know, I think the uh, Biden uh, administration wants to uh, try uh, try and still push this through and, and get back to where they were. Um, but it, in such a narrowly divided Senate and House, you know, will that pushback uh, be bipartisan, not just from Republicans? Um, if it is bipartisan, you know, he may have a tough go at it. But the reality is, is as the um, negotiation under the Obama administration was, you know, Congress really didn't have much of a say there. Um, you know, some of it was the pushback was symbolic, really. So um, I think there's going to definitely be more to come here from the Biden administration and its pursuit to reengage with Iran. Well, uh, thank you for the update there, Shane. I know this is a big point of interest when it comes to foreign policy, so something we'll continue to track very closely. Maybe coming back here at home, I know down in Orlando, Florida, I believe it's kicking off today. The Conservative Political Action Conference, CPAC, is expected to feature former President Donald Trump. This will be his first notable public address since leaving the White House. What do you anticipate will be addressed, Shane? I know this is receiving a lot of attention. Yeah, this absolutely is receiving a lot of attention. You know, this is President Trump's first um, real uh, public appearance since uh, he left office uh, uh, just over a month ago. Uh, So there's a lot of interest. Also, you know, this is uh, breaking norms to, uh, to a degree, you know, traditionally, over the past few decades, we've seen uh, former presidents, when they leave office, you know, stay quiet for six months or so to try and give the new administration breathing room to, uh, you know, get to get their administration up and running and let them, you know, ha- have uh, a try at their agenda before, you know, any jousting uh, happens. You know, so this is uh, breaks that norm. But I think, you know, 
President Trump is going to be addressing uh, a very friendly crowd within uh, CPAC. Uh, so, you know, I think you'll see the crowd very um, celebratory to hear former President Trump speak. And, you know, what do I anticipate to be addressed? You know, that is, um, I think we, we know some of the things that will be brought up, like, you know, President Trump's feelings about how uh, the election was stolen from him. But I also think you're going to start to see him um, try and draw a line in the sand between him and other Republicans, you know, Republicans that either uh, voted to impeach him or vote did not vote the way he would have liked on uh, the Arizona and Pennsylvania electors on January 6th. And because this is uh, the CPAC crowd is very friendly to him, you know, it, it will be a a um, moment for him to send, try and send out a warning signal to other Republicans that he thinks uh, have crossed him. Uh, and, you know, it's going to be a very interesting dynamic for the Republican parties, especially over the next two years, but really the next four years. Um, and, you know, as President Trump either decides to run for re-election in 2024 or tries to play kingmaker. Uh, so this will be um, definitely worth paying attention to because it's, it's fairly important to the future of the Republican Party. Yeah, I, I did hear that Utah Senator Mitt Romney did express that should former President Trump pursue certain ambitions going forward, he may very well become the Republican nominee in 2024. Of course, a lot has to play out. And I, I heard similar comments uh, were iterated by Mitch McConnell as well. So this will be interesting and we'll see how this plays out over the weekend. Maybe one final topic we can hit on before we close out. We do, of course, need to check in on the fiscal relief package. It does appear that the House is inching towards a vote. Might come as soon as today, but in recent days and even hours, there's been some wrangling over uh, the minimum wage. That's been a point of interest. So uh, where do we stand with the relief package? How soon before a vote might come? And are we receiving bipartisan support here? Yeah, no, we do expect uh, the House to probably pass the stimulus bill today. Uh, it could slip into tomorrow, but right now they're working to finish it off uh, this afternoon or this evening. Um, and the House bill does contain minimum wage increase to $15 an hour. Um, but you're right. You know, last night, the Senate parliamentarian ruled that that would be out of uh, bounds because of the budget reconciliation rules in the Senate are much tighter than what they are in the House. And the Senate parliamentarian um, has come back to the decision and, um, you know, uh, that this minimum wage increase does not fit in those parameters. And this is not unheard of. You know, we've seen this in previous budget reconciliation bills where the Senate parliamentarian has a lot of power and can um, deem things outside of the parameters. So, you know, uh, this exercise is drawing fire from uh, some Democrats um, who are upset about it. But, you know, President Biden said he disagrees with it, but he accepts this. Um so I think Democrats are left scrambling to try and find out, you know, what option B would be on um, uh, on a, uh, a minimum wage increase and how they can enact that this year. So I think they're still struggling with that, um, how to move forward there. But on the stimulus bill itself, this also complicates it 
A little bit, because if the Senate changes the House pass bill in any way, it has to come back to the House for a second vote. So, yeah, I think, you know, while it probably would still um, be passed in the House after the Senate changes it, it just delays uh, the, the process a little bit. Um, you know, with the removal of the minimum wage provision, you know, you probably will have some House Democrats uh, upset about it and and you know may threaten to vote against it but i think at the end of the day they'll still support the final bill and you know when we look at this we're keeping an eye on march 14th for uh the completion of this bill um that is kind of the effective deadline for this bill uh, because that's when um existing supplemental unemployment assistance expires you know could this bill go beyond that date and and those uh, impacted be uh, still helped with these uh, extra payments that are in this bill. Yes, but I think that is a date that's trying to uh, drive the train here. Um, so I think no matter what, I think at the end of the day, we'll see a bill passed um, in the next two to three weeks. Sounds like there's a lot of moving parts, but I'm sure all eyes will be on the House floor today as there's much at stake for individuals as well as the broader U.S. economy. So thank you for the update on where we stand with this fiscal relief package, Shane. Appreciate all of the ground that you've covered with our listeners, our clients this week. A lot, as always, happening down in the Beltway and beyond. So look forward to picking back up on some of these topics with you next Friday. But in the meantime, wish you a nice weekend and hope you enjoy some of these mild temperatures. Temperatures. Sounds good. Thank you, Dan. And I, I hope you're able to enjoy it as well. Thank you, Shane. Appreciate it. And again, today we have been joined by Shane Lieberman, Federal Affairs Manager with the UBS U.S. Office of Public Policy in Washington, D.C. As a reminder to our clients and listeners, please be sure to reference the latest edition of the Washington Weekly Publication, which can be located on UBS.com forward slash Washington Weekly. For clients of UBS, you can also contact your financial advisor if you would like to receive a copy of the Washington Weekly publication directly. The Washington Weekly podcast is part of the UBS In The Now podcast channel, which is available where podcasts are found, including on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, and Pandora. Visit UBS.com forward slash studios to view the entire podcast offering, as well as the new UBS trending video series. From UBS Studios, I'm Dan Cassidy. Thank you for joining us. As a firm providing wealth management services to clients, UBS Financial Services, Inc. offers investment advisory services in its capacity as an SEC-registered investment advisor and brokerage services in its capacity as an SEC-registered broker-dealer. Investment advisory services and brokerage services are separate and distinct, differ in material ways, and are governed by different laws and separate arrangements. It is important that clients understand the ways in which we conduct business, that they carefully read the agreements and disclosures that we provide to them about the products or services we offer. For more information, please review the PDF document at UBS.com forward slash relationship summary. UBS Financial Services, Inc. is a subsidiary of UBS AG, member FINRA SIPC.